It's good to be with you all this evening. This is a different sort of a message, and this will be part one of two sections. Um, As Pastor Joe mentioned, there has been a great deal of thought and consideration that has uh, occurred among our pastoral staff as to how best to equip our body, um, not merely to do Christian things, but to present everyone mature on the day of Jesus Christ. Our desire, our deepest desire of our hearts is that the congregation here and the members of Community Baptist Church would be presented to the Lord as a spotless bride, one that is mature and uh, lives holily according to the commands of our God. And so tonight I want to begin by emphasizing an aspect of our Christian life that is essential but often comes with ambiguity and a lack of clarity as to how to pursue it. And as we begin to discuss and set up what next week is going to become the description of a really practical, somewhat pragmatic method for achieving the things that we talk about tonight, we need to locate the goals within the the total Christian life. And so this is going to be a little bit topical, but I'm just going to go step by step for helping us understand what Christian growth is, how it happens, why it's necessary, and how you can be continually on that path of Christian growth. So would you go to the Lord with me? Let's just pray briefly and ask for God's uh, empowering spirit and for hearts that will uh, hear his word. Heavenly Father, we need your spirit and his grace And we recognize and humbly depend on your word. Lord, we want Christianity not merely to be one of the things that makes up who we are. But as the last line of that song said, Christ only, always living in me. Lord, would you have over our being absolute sway? We need your empowering spirit for this through the word of God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to begin by just stating some simple truths and supporting them with scripture, things that I don't think will find any argument in you, but for thoroughness, we need to set again these basic truths in front of us. The first is this, what is the purpose of your Christian life? Towards what goal are you heading Why are you currently on this earth? God certainly could have saved you and immediately taken you to heaven. But his purpose for you on this earth is that you would learn to be conformed to the image of his son. And this process of your conformance to the image of his son is both the unbreakable, inviolable will of God Almighty that he will accomplish, and it is the single greatest responsibility of your life, one that will affect eternity for you. Because all of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things that are done in the body, whether good or ill. Look at Romans chapter number 8, verses 28 and 29, as Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, lays out for us the grand redemptive plan of God for your soul. 
Paul writes this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And just as a brief review of our biblical story, Adam and Eve, our very first parents, were created in the image of God. The scriptures tell us twice, in the image of God created he them. And that image, though finite, though limited, was nonetheless an unstained, sinless representation of God's character to the rest of creation. However, Adam fell into sin, plunging the human race into sin with him. And so while we would state that the image of God is still present in humanity, giving dignity to every person, that image has been marred beyond any human's ability to repair it or to be saved from it on their own. And into that state, God sent his only son in the likeness of man. Jesus was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Friends, what Adam represented as the image of God, Jesus so much the more. Christ came as the second Adam, and his redemption on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is what allows mankind to be restored to the image of God which was marred at the time of Adam's fall. And this again brings us to our central conclusion about the purpose of your Christian life. Your goal in this life is to have that image of God restored in you through a living personal relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be conformed to the image of Christ. We want to become like Christ as much as we possibly can in this life. The goal of your life on this earth, from the moment of your salvation until the moment of your last breath is not merely to be a Christian, but to be becoming more like Christ. This is a process that God has ordained for his children during their time on this earth. First John chapter 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Christ-likeness is our final destination, and yet God has given you a pathway towards this end. Everyone who thus hopes in Jesus purifies himself as Jesus is pure. God not only intends for you to be conformed to the image of Christ, but God intends for you to know something of the process by which that will happen so that you will behave differently. 
Do you see that in this verse of Scripture where the Apostle John specifically says that it is the knowledge that you will be like Christ that spurs you on to purify yourself like Christ? Ephesians chapter number 4, verses 12 through 16. Prior to this, the apostle establishes that Christ Jesus gave offices to the church and gifts to the church, specifically those of pastors and teachers and shepherds and evangelists and apostles, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's conformance to the image of Christ right there. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot of truth and doctrine in that particular passage of Scripture, but let me draw out a further point. Not only does God intend that you personally would be conformed to the image of his dear Son through your knowledge an application of his word and his truth. But God intends for that to happen to the church corporately as well, which adds another dimension and layer of responsibility on you. Because when you personally are failing to grow in conformance to Christ's likeness, you harm the rest of the body. Because the entire body is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you are an important part of it. None of us has the option of pursuing this and, or not pursuing this and saying to ourselves, well, I'll pursue it when I feel like it, but really it's between me and the Lord how much I am conformed to Christ's likeness. It's between me and the Lord how much holiness I achieve in this life. It's between me and the Lord how much my understanding of Scripture grows and matures during my time and my sojourn on this earth. That is false because your failure to pursue conformance to Christ's likeness with every aspect of your being harms the entire body of which God has made you a member. You don't get to decide whether or not you're a part of the church because God is the one who has put you into it. For you to eject from God's purpose for your Christian life here is for you not only to do so to the danger of your own soul, but to do so at the danger and expense of your brothers and sisters around you. Friends, the prize is glorious, but the stakes are very high. What is the pathway to Christian growth? How is it that we are to be conformed to the image of Christ? Very, very simply, there are two things that must be occurring in your Christian life at all times. You learn the truth and you apply the truth. Your Christian life really is as simple as that. We could state it in other ways and with other words, but that is an all-encompassing view of your progress in Christ-likeness. You are always, or ought to be always, 
striving to learn the truth and apply the truth. And neither of these aspects of the Christian journey are superfluous. You can't get rid of one without losing the other as well. And we can think through this in our own minds. The scripture itself would give us some warning of this. If you have pure application but no knowledge of the truth, what you actually have is a false faith. A faith that doesn't know why it does what it does. A person who applies but does not know is just a moral person. Someone who knows but does not apply is incredibly proud because they show by their actions that they don't really believe what they say that they know. There are so many passages of Scripture that back this theme up. If you do just even a simple word search of the concept of knowledge or learning, you'll find that Paul associates that with Christian growth almost in every breath. This idea of learn and apply are necessary and inseparable aspects of our Christian journey. Just as an example, Colossians 1, 27b to 28, Paul writes, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Your growth in Christ-likeness cannot happen apart from learning and applying the truth. 2 Peter 1, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which God has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, which is based on your knowledge of God's revelation. Supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, Christianity is a religion of the mind and the heart. Christianity is not Christianity apart from what we hold to be true by faith from the word of God, which is why Paul bases the entire Christian life and journey on what you know of God's precious and very great promises, and then exhorts you to apply that knowledge consistently in your life, and part of the application of the knowledge that you have of Christ in this passage of Scripture is that you would continue to grow in your knowledge of the Lord and of his revelation. Now, with those twin ideas as the all-encompassing vision of how we pursue Christ-likeness in our lives. I want to just kind of lift out this learning idea. Both are equally important. Both are inseparable. But what we want to do tonight is just think about how does Christian learning happen. And so we're going to uh, spend some time thinking about this. It is impossible for you to apply what you do not know. 
And so the process of Christian growth presented in several passages of Scripture, most notably probably are Ephesians 4 and Romans chapter number 12, where Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may, by testing, discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Learning and applying in a continual process, our entire lives, leads to Christ-likeness. Not all of us have the same gifts available to us. Not all of us live in the same ages of teaching and or knowledge and or resources for the Christian life, but those things are not under our control. What God has called us to do is that throughout our Christian lives, we would continually pursue these processes and never quit. The aim of your Christian life is not that by the end you would have had your life be a mirror reflection of another great saint of the past, but rather that in your own time and place you pursued and loved the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We must continually progress in this process until the final, final moment of our time on this earth. How do we do that? The path to Christian learning as one of those twin, inseparable, related truths for Christ-likeness happens through words. This is how everybody learns. People learn through words. You learn by reading words or hearing words. This is especially true when it comes to your Christian life and journey. Think of Paul's commands to the pastors that he mentored, specifically to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul tells him, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. A pastor's duties are to be wrapped up in these three things. That the inspired and errant word of God would be publicly read to God's people, and the truths of that revelation would be expounded and explained and taught in such a way that the people go out with an understanding of what God's word means and its significance for their lives. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, Paul writes, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not only do you desperately need, by God's providence and his ordained will, to regularly hear the Bible read to you and taught to you, but you personally need to and ought to pursue your own understanding of the Scriptures. We're going to talk a little bit more a little bit later on about why and how that works. But for now, understand this basic step that learning happens by reading words and hearing words. Now, as you're sitting there thinking, you might think to yourself, well, there is another way that people learn. People learn by imitation. 
People can learn by watching somebody else and doing what they do. And I agree that that is a valid way to begin a learning process, but that is never in any situation of life expected to be the demonstration of true maturity. You think about really, really small children as they walk around and imitate you. Uh, I was spending some time with some friends the other day who have a very small child, and this very small child has a lawnmower toy that this child has seen daddy walking around and pushing this lawnmower outside. And so this little person has their own toy mower and is pushing it around. And that is awesome. That's how things are supposed to work. The child ought to look at their parents and copy what mom and dad do. But that child has zero understanding of the purpose and function and goals of a lawnmower. They do not understand what it is for, what its significance is for the life and health of the yard or for the relationship with the neighbors or for just the personal ordering of one's own life so that everything is brought into order and dominion in one's property. But the goal is that they would know that. And so if you were to take pure imitation and sever from that any potential of learning the words and ideas that function to give those activities significance, you don't have application, you just have mimicry. And mimicry is not godly apart from the eventual growth in uh, maturity and understanding of God's word. God intends for you to imitate because of what you know about him and because of what you know about his word and because you are growing in your Christian life. When Paul says, imitate me, that wasn't the end of the sentence. Paul says, follow me, what? As I follow Christ. Even in his call to imitation, he laces it with words and teachings so that the imitation doesn't become merely a miming of Christian growth and health, but the actual thing itself. In the book of Ephesians, when Paul again says, be imitators of God, he teaches with it so that the imitation would have actual maturity with it. Be imitators of God as dear children which is an entire theological concept of your adoption and relationship to God and the way that you ought to think about God that forms the basis for how you imitate God. And so again, just this point, how do we learn in our Christian life? We learn either by hearing words or reading words. Those words ought to be either the scriptures or explanations of the scriptures or derived from the scriptures. We learn by reading and by hearing. The pastors of the church are given the special responsibility of teaching publicly, orally, so that you hear it, God's word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing, his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Each Christian ought to pursue greater knowledge of the truth outside of our formal gatherings. The reason for this is because In the Sunday morning, Sunday evening, hours that we have for teaching, we don't have enough time to give you everything that God intends you to have by his word. Besides the fact that God has called on you to take the gift of his word in your language and to study it yourself. How then do you supplement what you hear from your pastoral leadership within the church? How do you supplement that teaching 
I would suggest to you that Christian reading is one of the most efficient ways for you to accomplish the purpose of learning for Christ-likeness. Christian books help you take steps of growth in knowledge at the pace that you can handle. No doubt, across this congregation, there are many who have either had a somewhat selfish thought, but uh, the thought at some point, wow, Pastor Joe is going way over my head, or I wish that Pastor Joe would go a little bit deeper. And the reason for that is because Pastor Joe has been given the care of an entire congregation of people. And it is impossible in one 45 to an hour long sermon to adequately and tailor every message customized to your spiritual position and stage of growth. He can't speak directly to all of you. There will be some who find the pace fast. There will be some who find the pace slow. But as Pastor Joe has been gifted by God, he thinks about the congregation and does his best to equip as many at one time as he possibly can. But what Christian reading can help supplement is it can help you take steps of growth at a pace that is customized and tailored for where you are right now. And that kind of a pursuit only aids and helps the way that you come to our gathered worship services to hear the regular exposition of God's word in a clear and faithful and practical way. You might have, though, some objections to Christian reading. You might look at this and say, I don't know that I can really take on Christian reading. And you might have one of these as your thoughts. The first might be this, I don't have time. I do sympathize with this. We are all very, very busy. Any time that we have a church activity or a program, there is a part of me that hurts a little bit asking people to come to another event or do another thing or partake in another project because I know how busy all of you are. I don't have enough time. Let me ask you just a couple of simple questions. Number one, do you have any time for leisure? Do you have a Facebook account or an Instagram account or a TikTok account? Do you ever watch YouTube videos? Friends, I I think that leisure and rest and recharging is important, but I would suggest to you that The care of your soul towards Christ-likeness is of greater significance than your social media and the videos you watch on YouTube. The reality is, is that all of us have ordered our lives based on the priorities we deem to be of greatest significance. Some of us have very, very little time, legitimately, even cutting away what little leisure or recharge time that we do have. And I understand that. And I would just suggest to you that that's why I stressed so hard earlier on that your progress in Christian learning is to be at the best that you can do. Not the best that this other person can do who's not in the same stage of life as you. The point is not whether or not you can reach a certain milestone by a certain time. The point would be that you don't eject from the process of Christian learning. One of the greatest things you can do 
is just take a small step. It's better to spend five minutes reading a good Christian book that will push your understanding of Scripture than to not do it at all. What time can you give to this process recognizing that this is not pastors trying to get you to do more of the things we like, but rather helping you to realize that what you do to pursue your growth in Christian learning is for the good and the joy and the well-being of your eternal soul. We're very earthly-minded. And I am willing to venture that there are things in our lives that take priority from the care of our souls that we ought to displace. A second objection you might have is, I've already learned enough for a good Christian life. I, you know, I need to apply things and I need to, you know, do better, but I already pretty much know everything I need to know for the Christian life. Uh, friends, uh, just very kindly, I want to tell you that that's a, that's a prideful way to look at things. Because what you're tacitly saying is that God overfilled his word There's more to learn, but you don't need to know it. And so you're in a good position then to go through God's word and kind of edit out the important things and stick with the things that you know are actually good for your spiritual growth. Friends, remember when we read in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all scripture is profitable? Someone said it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Christian learning is not something that you have mastered yet. You still have much progress to make. And apart from your growth in knowledge, you cannot proportionately grow in righteousness. Number three, all I need is the Holy Spirit in the Bible. I hope that none of us would ever say that out loud. Sometimes maybe we would have this idea, I don't really need the wisdom of other people. I don't really need to read Christian authors. I just need to read the Bible Um, If that's the case, you're probably wasting your time coming to church on a regular basis because God has gifted the body to help you in your spiritual progress. 1 Corinthians 12 actually specifically says that you need the other parts of the body to help you grow. And I would just suggest to you that God has given you helps to your Christian growth, not even just in this body, but in Christians from generations ago in their writings Christians and scholars who are writing books on a readable level so that you can progress in your Christian knowledge. Another objection might be, well, there's nothing new for me in the Bible. I pretty much know it all. Um, This is another prideful attitude. Remember how Paul said in the book of Romans, oh, the depths of the wisdom of the riches of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways. They're inscrutable. They're past finding out. Paul was staggered by the depth of God's word. Friends, you have not yet mastered its contents. God has more for you to learn and to grow in, in the study of his word. There's an attitude that says, well, if I need to know it, pastor will tell me. And this is a difficult one because it does base itself a little bit on truth because the the responsibility of pastors is that we would preach and proclaim the whole counsel of God to you. That is certainly our goal. It's our desire. 
that we would not favor any one part of Scripture to the detriment of the message of all of it. But the reason that this is a poor objection is it because it passes off the responsibility of sanctification to the pastor instead of to you. God will hold pastors accountable for how we stewarded the charge of caring for this flock, but that will not excuse you on judgment day from standing before God and having to explain to God why you just kind of fudged on your responsibility to conform to the image of Christ. The Lord Jesus will not take it well that you decided your pastor was responsible for your Christian growth instead of you pursuing your own knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is that no matter what a pastor preaches, even if he were to preach every tense of every verb in both testaments, there's nobody on pastoral staff that can make you close to Jesus Christ. That's a work that the Spirit does in your heart with the Word. There's another objection, and again, one that I'm deeply sympathetic with. It would be this, I'm not good at reading. And again, that would be um, a very valid uh, point to make. And I would just suggest to you and try to comfort you and encourage you with this truth. God's not going to hold you accountable to be a reader like William Shakespeare or St. Augustine. But God will hold you accountable for what you can do. Because remember, the point of it is not to reach X number of milestones by this particular time, but rather that you would not eject from the process of learning and applying the truth. God has given you revelation, not in a dream, not in a vision, but in a book. And I would just encourage you that with whatever capacity you can, you work on taking a step of growth from there. I want to give you just a few benefits of Christian reading. This would be reading that's done apart from your devotional time in God's word. I believe these things would be helpful. The first benefit would be that of personal maturity. Reading good Christian books helps to expedite the process. I can sit down and, if I think hard enough about it, figure out a lot of things. Or I can pull up YouTube and watch somebody else do it and then figure out how they did it and let them teach me. One is much faster than the other. Friends, Christian reading works in much the same way. It can help to accelerate your growth and personal maturity by allowing you the benefits of the insights of other believers that God has gifted differently than you. But another of the benefits is that of humility. It takes humility to sit down and learn from anybody. And so the more you read... God often uses that to develop in you a personal humility, recognizing that you don't have it all together and you need the help of other people to develop your Christian life. It gives you greater ministry competence and potential. There's so much you can learn about how to be a helpful and productive church member, an evangelist, a prayer warrior, a student of the scriptures by reading the works of others. It sharpens pastoral leadership. The more our congregation personally takes the charge to dive into Scripture and learn the Scriptures well, it forces pastoral leadership to be on its game when we preach. The more you know, the more accountable we are for how we feed the flock of God through the Word of God. It deeply encourages pastoral leadership to know that the people of a church pursue 
Christ-likeness no matter who else is doing it. That they are constantly working at their pace to understand and apply God's word in a deeper way with nobody else saying anything to them about it merely because of their love for the Lord Jesus Christ and their desire for closer, intimate fellowship with him. Friends, pursuing Christ in this way, deeper learning always results in deeper joy. I've never met any person who says that they're a football fan and says, now I did learn a few of the rules, but I've decided not to learn anymore because I'm enjoying football right now. And I'm afraid that if I know more about my favorite team or know more of the rules of how football works, I will enjoy football a great deal less. I don't want to ruin it. I want to quit while I'm ahead. People who are fans of sports dive deep on their knowledge of the sport. When I was a kid, my brothers would memorize statistics from baseball players for different seasons because the knowledge related to that sport was such a joy to them. How much more than the knowledge of our Lord and Savior? It gives us discernment in our choices. Greater knowledge and understanding of God's word helps you to behave in a discerning way. I want to just give this as we close, principles of Christian reading. The first and the last, I believe, are the most significant. Your Christian reading, I believe, should be regular. There is no number or milestone attached to that. If that means a paragraph every few days, then regularity is the most important thing. Because your ability to reflect Christ in your actions is dependent on your knowledge of the scriptures. Do what you can at your pace, but be regular about this business. Ideally, your Christian reading should push your understanding of scripture to deeper levels. If you only ever read the very basics for Christianity, number one, you will get bored. Number two, you'll come to conceive of God's word as a very simplistic book without anything to teach you beyond the things you've already learned. It should be at your pace. You know where you are and what you can handle. It should benefit your soul by the declaration of truth. Friends, our lives are too short to read things that do not enhance our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. This one, last one, I believe is really helpful for us. Our Christian reading should be systematic. Many of you have children in the Christian school or children who are homeschooled, and many of them show a particular proclivity or a talent or an enjoyment of one subject over another. However, it would be very foolish of you as a parent to look at your child and say, hey, I know that you really like that. Why don't you only do math since that's what you like? Forget about reading in English and forget about science. Forget about language arts or speech or PE or anything like that. If you just like math, just do math. Part of an elementary and high school education is that in spite of what people naturally like, they're given a well-rounded education. Let me encourage you to work on approaching Christian reading a little bit more systematically. Maybe instead of only ever reading Christian missionary biographies, you would take a book that delves into a little bit of biblical theology that expounds on a theme of scripture. Maybe instead of only reading X, Y, or Z book, you push yourself into another genre. With that in mind, I want to give you what I believe are some of the broadest genres of Christian reading. 
to help us judge whether or not we are being systematic. I believe that in a category all to itself is our understanding and growth and knowledge of the gospel. We ought to be growing, and I, I promise you, there are more things for you to learn about the gospel that you have not yet even begun to think about. Your devotional Christian life ought to be something that you pursue in your Christian reading. Sometimes we have, uh, some of us may have a tendency to uh, prefer theology, and so we neglect our devotional reading. Some of us prefer devotional reading, and so we neglect our growth in Christian doctrine. The classics of Christian history, the classic works that Christians have produced that have been a blessing to Christians throughout the generations are a wonderful place for you to start because they're time-tested for their benefit as well as put you in the stream of God's redemptive story from the time of Christ even until now. These would be things like the Confessions of Augustine, the works and writings of maybe Luther or Calvin or some of the older Christian writers, J.C. Ryle or Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Matthew Henry. These are all wonderful examples of writers whose works have been a blessing to Christians throughout the generations. Grow in your knowledge of church history. You'll be amazed at how your understanding of the Bible deepens the more you know of how the church has grown and developed over time. It'll also give you discernment for examining the culture around you because there's nothing new under the sun. And every current heresy has a historical counterpart. You need to grow in your understanding of the content and themes of the Old and the New Testaments and how those themes are interwoven and drawn together in Christ. You need to grow in your understanding of how the Christian life works itself out in missional living and personal ministry skills, in counseling and evangelism, in foreign missions. And you also need to grow in your understanding of God's institution, the local church, and the worship of the local church. Now, as we think about all of those different things, you might say, that is a lot. And again, let me reiterate that this ought not to be overwhelming because the point is not that you would master every subject, but that you would be regular and systematic in your growth at your pace as you're able. And what thing, one thing that we have been working on for quite some time, in order to help make that as non-intimidating a path as possible, is to present a particular program that we're going to introduce next Sunday night that will help you do this in an accessible way, in a way that will supplement your growth, your discipleship, your ministry, in a way that will be, God willing, non-intimidating, but would kind of metaphorically clear the path for you so that you know how to pursue Christian learning through reading. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and for allowing us just to consider these ideas for a few moments. I pray, Father, that regardless of exactly how we apply it in our Christian life, we would recognize that our goal in life is to conform to the image of Christ and that we would, throughout our lives, always be given to the processes of learning and applying the truth. We love you. We commit our lives to you in Christ's name.